0: Hey guys, how you doing? Steve Rosen here, author of Tone Chaser, my book about my 26 year incredible journey with Everett Van Halen. And you are listening to Tom and Zeus at the shouted out loudcast. Peace, everybody.
1: The year is 1971. The band is the Who, and the album is Who's Next. Welcome to the 50th episode of the album review crew, where we are joined this month by special guest Murph as we discuss this iconic album by one of rock's most legendary bands. Murph, Zeus, good morning. Good morning.
2: I Think it's been about uh, two and a half years since I've joined one of these episodes, uh, "Hotel California," back in 2021, and really excited that uh, reached out and asked if uh, I would join today for uh, another all-time classic. That's right. That's right. Murph, are you Juice.
0: awake over there?
2: He's
1: awake. <laughs> he's, just to- he's just getting in tune. He's just getting in tune.
0: I just want to make sure. Yes, yes, yes. Let's get the uh, elephant in the room discussion going. Uh, we have a, a little bit of a different format. Uh, God bless our podcast. Shout it out loud, cast Hall of Famer, Sonny Poonie. Yep. But uh, it just turns out, guys, our, our scheduling is a little bit conflicting. It's a little bit harder to get it. And uh, almost 50 episodes, we decided to kind of change the format a little bit. so. Uh, there's no issues with Sonny. We all love each other somewhat or, you know, <laughs> whatever, but, uh, there's no issues with Sonny and, no. uh, he'll be back on doing a couple of these with us as well in the future. What we're, we're just basically doing is what now, Tom? It's just going to be like a third man in format. So depending on the style
1: of album, we just rotate a third man in and obviously Sonny will be part of that third man in. So we just don't want anybody to think that Sonny was fired for picking Europe last month. <laughs>
0: Okay, <laughs> so it'd be funny because it's like either he got fired for that, or he got fired because he, or he quit because it's this album. Yeah, you guys can exact. figure that out. I don't
1: know. What you think? Europe and the Who aren't on the same planet
0: in terms of rock music history, dude. He would have like eat. Fucking Bullet Boys, Winger, all above this shit. And those were, they were
1: fucking funny, (laughs) great episodes. And maybe, and maybe not great albums. Well, eh, you know, I I did like Europe, I'll admit that. But, but either way, it's all good with our, with our brother Sonny. He helped us build ARC to where we are for episode 50, and he'll be back. So,
0: yeah. And so, um, it, this month we, uh, uh, it fell on me to pick an, an album I took the classic rock album who's next yep and uh we decided to bring Murph on as our first special guest since he was our first guest for the kiss podcast portion of shout out loudcast yep. it makes it's apropos so That's right yep um but last month we had Sonny's the final countdown and it was the final countdown to Sonny so <laughs> apropos there too yep uh, We got some feedback, Tom. We did a little poll over there, right?
1: Yeah, I'm just laughing because some of the feedback is fucking epic for this album. It's so good. So the poll was, uh, yeah, four songs. What's the favorite song out of these? It was Heart of Stone, The Final Countdown, Cherokee, and Rock the Night. Uh, Our buddy Swede in New York, Heart of Stone is a classic and a live staple Back in the days, they would do the last chorus a cappella-style phenomenal song. And then he has a clip from London, 1987. Our buddy Tony, vacationing Tony, who does the intro music to ARC. Heart of Stone has always been my favorite track on the record. It's definitely the one I go back to this album more than any of you. And then he goes, oh, I almost forgot. Here's another photo of me looking miserable on vacation. And it's him hanging <laughs> off the edge of a cruise ship with his uh, lovely lady friend. So we always love seeing Tony's vacation pictures.
0: Who? Tony from Restrained?
1: Exactly. Yes. Yes. Baden McLeod. They're all great songs. However, it's the guitar solo in Final Countdown for the win. And let's get to the ever exciting episode specific comments, which we all owe. So our buddy Nige, who listens to the most bizarre selection of metal ever, says, this is Sonny's pick. And then he has a gif of an old woman at a computer. And on the screen, it says I am in hell. Help me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see my rock and roll heaven. That's a great Twitter page there too. He goes, I'll be interested to listen to this episode for me. The for me, the album has not aged. Well out of this world is their defining album. Okay. First of all, Rock and roll heaven with all due respect. I don't know if Europe has a defining album. It's fucking Europe. All right. (laughs) But anyways, our buddy Wally Vidal. Great review, guys. It's a great, catchy album. I can't wait for the metal church and full ARC (laughs) episodes. Well, guess what? Keep waiting. Keith Rochford. This should be interesting. I can't wait to hear Tom and Zeus's thoughts. Now we all have that keyboard riff in our heads. Oh, God. Your friend. I just finished the episode pure gold. As for the artwork, I had it on cassette and the plastic backing was blue, matching the cover, which made it kind of cool. The vocals and production are stellar. And then Cody Brunette just commented with, oof. <laughs> that was it. Uh, and let's finish up here. Our buddy Steve, he always likes to give his rankings. Uh, and he says, once again, Sonny picks another awesome album. So this was definitely one of the most polarizing and fun albums and episodes we've done. But that's what we got for Twitter there, Zeus. Could I All add
2: right. a quick comment? On oh, absolutely, uh, Merv, Jump in, brother. Surprised by the choice. Always entertaining. Uh, but that album, even though I have not listened to it in years and probably would not be going out to look for it. Yeah. That album defined a period of my life and probably your life. It's like... 1987. When you say 1987, yep. When I hear Europe, that's what I think. I think eighth grade that summer, yep. final countdown, Carrie getting played all the time on MTV. So it, it was a nostalgic listen for sure. Yeah, even though oh, it definitely not be uh, you know, the greatest album in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. 87. We say it with Kiss and Crazy Nights and. Yeah, real interesting time for music for sure. The keyboards were out of this world and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is up to your interpretation. But Zeus, what do you got on the book of
0: face? All right. Yvonne Japson. Oh, geez. Great songs. Norm is amazing. Solid seven songs. I was 11 when I got this and brought back so many memories. The cover is pretty cool, so I don't get the hate. The only issue is there's A globe earth (laughs) dude you that is
1: that is my that is literally that is one of my favorite arc comments ever my only problem with the album cover is the earth is round yeah that's
0: his that's one of my favorite comments he needs he needs to seek help there's something wrong with him right we know that a kevin uh if you're a family guy fan. I can't stop singing Peter and Quagmire, sir. Train on the water, boat on the tracks. Every time you guys sing Danger on the track. Ninja is horrible, but definitely got to revisit this again. Ninja is painful. Shout it out loud, Caster. Hall of Famer. Jay, don't call me disheveled, Scott. (laughs) You look
3: disheveled.
0: One of the worst albums and bands <laughs> in this era of music. Ugh. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was very, very uh, aggressive with his hatred towards this album. Oh, he
1: did not enjoy this pick <laughs> at all. Like you're right. It 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 upset him yeah.
0: physically. He had a physical reaction to this pick. Yes. All right. Um, Brett Roscoe. If someone said to me, give me an example of great melodic rock, here it is. Love this record. I do feel the success of the final countdown single harmed the band whilst making them millionaires. If it had just sneaked into the top 40 and wasn't played at every event in New Year's Eve, us rock fans would be calling it a classic and saying, how is this not a hit? The popular appeal of it killed it for us and tarnished the band so much so that they moved away from this style, agree with Zeus. I wish there was another record with this lineup in the same vein, and tried to prove they were a serious rock band. Regarding danger on the track, lyrically it seems influenced by Thin Lizzy's Whiskey in the Jar, and maybe Gary Moore's Over the Hills and Far Away, released around the same time. Anyway, thanks for a fun and entertaining show. About one of my favorite albums, the 80s. Ah, amazing time for music and bands. I almost agree with him about like, this is melodic rock, '80s melodic rock, and nobody's really doing this type of music. The bands that have survived that are still putting out music, and I had this comment with Sonny. He's like, "Oh yeah, they—you they, don't understand—they like do something really different. Well, why I would want I them want to something do, to do something exactly. different? That's right. That's right. And the same thing with the band like Striper. Oh, oh no, they're hard. They're heavy now.
1: like Why? I don't want that. Yeah. No, you're exactly. right. But but you're right. Right right around this era. Is and again I keep using the kiss crazy nights kind of comparison. Right around that late 80s era, that's when hair metal or whatever you want to call it, that's when it became like melodic. It was like the the to me, the aggressive stuff was like the early 80s, like the hard aggressive stuff, like mm-hmm. early Def Leppard, like early Aussie. Even Aussie started to get hard, but still like melodic, quote unquote, for him in the late 80s. Yeah.
0: Over on loudcasters. Michael Murphy, pure, unadulterated, homogenized cheese. If you're lactose intolerant, listening to this album could actually kill you. That's good. I like that. The tax man Anthony Barone. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't this just on a dorm damage list? It was. Yes. It was on uh, most irritating songs, wasn't it? Well, like a week you- before.
1: Well, Europe appeared on two different dorm damage episodes. Final Countdown was on most annoying songs. And then John Norum. Appeared on the episode we did about most underrated guitarists yes. of the 80s.
0: Yes. Yep. Joseph Collins says, I got the cassette for Christmas in 86. There you go. Sneed Rock. A lot of talk about John Norm so far in the episode. Norm wasn't just a fan, but a close friend of Ingve growing up. So the Blackmore influence is no surprise. Norm is a killer guitar player that can shred when he wants while staying more on the melodic side. There is also Kiss-related trivia with John after this album released a solo album where he does a cover of Vinnie Vincent's Back on the Street. Yep, we heard that. Yep. He kept the solo way more control and melodic than Vinnie. The video for this song is horrendous. <laughs> he put a clip <laughs> of it. Yep. Ray Gallus, a little disappointed. This album sounds laughably bad. <laughs> Title track is decent, but the rest of this is just forced and artificial. There is no soul, passion, nor any real human emotion here contrived record this should have been an episode rife with derision and humor instead I feel like Sonny spike your drinks
1: that's actually a really great comment but I just want to comment on that for a little bit so if you examine this album through the lens of 2024 yeah it doesn't it hasn't aged well it's it's of the time but I I I, I don't know I try to like I try sometimes to like separate that and look at it from like, okay, this is what was popular at this time. They did a good job with it. Does it age well? No, but that's okay. But you're right. I felt like, I think, I don't know if I said this during the episode. I felt like this final countdown was one of the best instances of like the Stockholm syndrome. I'm like, I can't believe I like this album. Yeah.
4: No,
0: but, and, and that's just it. We, you go into this album. It's supposed to be all oh, just going to be, it's not fun just having a, an album to review. This sucks. This song sucks. Mm-hmm. This sucks. This is terrible. I can't listen to it. Yep. And what we want to do is give every album that we somebody picks a chance. And right. for us, I feel like this album um, kind of surprised Tom. I already liked it from years ago. I but never I had owned forgotten it. about yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And and so what are you going to do if you fucking like something? You can't just crack jokes on it. And yeah. I think we did when it comes to the videos and the s- silliness of them, yeah. them singing into ketchup bottles. Oh, God. Keith Ross. That's it. I'm boycotting Shout Out Loudcast and ARC. I now have nightmares of Poonie singing the keyboard lines to Final Countdown. I'm suing you all for punitive damages <laughs> that you're giving me. Great episode as always. Nice. daniel holler houston true story europe having keyboards meant that they were always in standard tuning and easy to play along with i would play this record on and practice shredding my friends were all speed metal guys and did not like europe i had both my amp and stereo up loud and my friend came over and my mom let him in he walked up to my room just stood there until i noticed him what the fuck dude you are <laughs> listening to europe and jamming to it What's wrong with you? (laughs) I didn't live that down for a long time. Oh, my God. Over on Instagram, there are two comments. One is from Bulletproof Music 23, which I think is the Greek thunder from down under Thonis. I think so. Yep. Brilliant review and brilliant album and still a great band. On the other one is Clark's Side of the Moon. Oh, yep. Give props to the band for what they accomplished. But if the cover artist wanted to really capture the essence of the album, he should have just drawn a vagina on the cover. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) I saw (laughs) Mighty. Over on YouTube, uh, FM Big Hair says Ninjas and Cherokees, we're at a fucking car dealership now? I think that's your comment Tom. Yep. Yep. Unleash Raider 85. In 86 I was 12 I bought shit I saw on MTV Bon Jovi Cinderella Poison. Examples. I was on my way to the record to buy the shitty Europe album. <laughs> but I heard some guy playing Master of Puppets in his garage on the way. I left the store with Puppets. Got home that day and threw the Poison and Bon Jovi in the trash. Metal Church has three classic albums. Oh, God. Here we go. The Metal Church Defenders. Tom, that's what I got, buddy. All right. Let's bang out
1: a couple of quick emails here. We got one from our buddy, Yanni Aslak Rossinen. Oh, no. No relation to Essa Tikkanen or Rayo Rutsalainen. <laughs> uh, back in 86, Europe's final conto was impossible to get away from. The song was everywhere in Finland. Sporting events, radio, TV, school disco nights. And so was the album because it's sold truckloads. I see copies of it for the price of a banana at every flea market I go to. And I don't mind since the best part is it's a decent eighties poodle hair record. The band absolutely shines when they are at their sappiest. Carrie is a bonafide pop metal ballad. Rock the night also rocks in its deaf leopardy fashion. Then there are the historically inaccurate ninjas in the nonsensical fight for the strangers, which is an actual song by a Finnish 80s hair metal band. Check out the link. Type of head scratches, which prove that the band wasn't built to rock too hard or teach us history like Maiden successfully did. That kind of depth just wasn't there. And oh yeah, at concerts, the band sometimes played Final Countdown twice when they opened and closed the show. Yeah, they did that when I saw them open for Def Leppard. Again, that's thanks for entertaining. That's an entertain- horrendous. <laughs> Sorry. That's really bad. Again, thanks for an entertaining ARC. Looking forward to the next one. All the best from Finland. And then we got one from Danny Pooney. My schedule hasn't allowed me to listen in a while, but then when I saw the final countdown, I had to make the time such a great album from front to back with no skippers for me. I had never seen the rock the night video, but had to after your comments, I thought it was a fun video that went along with a fun song. Very of the time. I saw Europe on Mork in 2015 and they owned the ship. Everyone was very excited to see them. Good times.
0: Ninja survive. Danny Hooney all right Who the fuck else was on the ship if a 2015 Europe was owning the ship I don't know Dick Tracy I don't know
1: <laughs> I have no idea. uh Mike H, I have to be honest and admit that the keyboard riff in the final countdown annoyed me so much that I refused to give the album and the band a chance. Plus I saw a now famous video on YouTube of a really bad band doing a really bad cover of the song that confirmed my hatred petty. Yes. Justified. Probably not, but fuck it. Sorry. Not sorry. That's Mike H. And that's what we got for emails. So time
0: for the whom. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Let's wash this shit (laughs) up out into the ocean. Um, yeah, so what we usually do is um this one's my pick. We go back and ask each other, first time interacting with the album and thoughts and how you got into it and everything like that. So the Who is was just always around, kind of when you grow up, you can't miss them. Yep. So they were always there. And more importantly, though, for me, my brother, that I probably that's probably his favorite band. So he really got into them and played them all the time. He was by Roger Daltrey, Pete Townsend solo albums. It was his thing, and all his friends loved The Who. Um, And they're just the legendary band that they are. So a lot of these songs, either through being just growing up and listening to this type of music, uh, rock radio stations, WBCN, WAF, were playing this kind of music. So uh, the the songs specifically on this album... Uh, I was aware of. So Bargain, Won't Get Fooled Again, Bob O'Reilly, and um, uh, Behind Blue Eyes, I already knew Inside Out before. Um, I bought this album back in college days on my own, got the CD through either Ziggy Marley or Jorge Plantes or Chode, one of my aliases from BMG and Columbia House. And uh, I always liked it and what i want to do when i when i um had it came around to me for this uh pick i just like changing things up and going a little bit off the grid this is about as classic rock as you are going to get and you know you look at 1971 for an album for arc that's not very common
5: mm-hmm.
0: and i wanted to have a discussion because some of these songs on this album specifically uh, are highly ranked for me personally. So I want them to have a chance to, you know, put it out there for those who are not, uh, I actually, I bet you I won't be that surprised or aren't familiar with this because they're more inclined to the hair metal genre. Uh, enlighten yourselves, <laughs> get some classic rock music in yourself. And this, to me, this album is the definitive Who album. Um, I the only other album that kind of I remembered a little bit was the album that came on, I think it was uh face something. It was uh like you better you bet on it. Face dances. Stop. Yeah, face dances, that's it. That's the only other one that I remember purchasing years ago when I was little. Um, but this album to me uh deserves the ARC treatment. And uh I'm anxious to hear what you guys think.
2: So I think I've mentioned before on other times that uh, I, I've joined the the two of you. I am the oldest um, in, in my family. So uh, both of you have mentioned of the influences you've had to music within your own household. My mother played a lot of disco, Barry Manilow, Barbara Streisand, and I was picked on by kids in the neighborhood who had <laughs> older siblings. They were throwing siblings. things at you? <laughs> yes, because yes. of the
0: Barry Manilow records. <laughs> and he used to wear little tight shorts at
2: school. <laughs> and these kids that my friends had older siblings who were listening to ACDC, um, Black Sabbath, The Who. And so I, in my head, I always pictured The Who as this you know, same category as heavy metal, even though they weren't. But I think what seared it in my head, and I'm going to take both of you down memory lane in case you remember. The first time I really remember the who in my brain is there used to be a TV commercial for a heavy rock station in Boston, WCOZ. Yeah, 94.5. Five. Yep. And there was a, vi- a commercial that it had townsend doing the windmill bouncing around Mm -hmm. so in my head i thought this was just like all those other bands Mm -hmm. but then mtv came along one of the first albums i got and i do not know why was a 1982 pete townsend solo album Uh, my love open the door good album it was a solo good solo career and then over time as you mentioned zeus they just started popping up everywhere it was you know, Magic Bus, they they did a, a reunion tour, late 80s, mm-hmm. and their catalog is so expansive that you, you have their greatest hits, 20 songs on it. And what I realized going into this episode here, I only knew four songs on this album, the classics. Mm-hmm. So when you asked about it, I was like, yeah, all right, sure, The Who, and then going through it, it was – you know, it, it was just going in fresh, walking away from it, and then saying, "All right, gonna need to listen to this ten to fifteen times." And you know, by the end of it, you you have a better understanding of where Townsend was. You know, at you know, he was the driving force in this band. And by the end of it, also, I was like, "All right, I'm starting to understand why he hates Zeppelin." Mm. <laughs> well.
1: So for me, my background with the Who, this is—it's funny, Murph bringing up like the like the the sibling thing. I was never—I never really listened to the Who. I mean, you couldn't avoid it, but growing up on with classic rock radio, whether it was ZLX in Boston, COZ, any of those things, like you couldn't avoid the Who. They were they were the most like hits radio band, like you know, like Zeppelin. And I owned one Who album in my entire life, and it was the cassette of "It's Hard." because I loved Eminence Front. I still think that's one of the fucking greatest songs of the era. I love that
0: song. I can't believe you like that song. I it's, I, I don't, I have nothing, I have nothing. Oh, I've always nothing loved that song. Love, <laughs> love that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> love it. So that's the only who, th- so it's weird. My, my I like, like, Later Who, which is weird, because when I hear Kiss fans saying, like, what's the matter with you? What do you, what do you mean you like Sonic Boom? <laughs> but I like Later Who, because in my mind, Early Who is like like a 60s band, like Magic Bus, My Generation. I know they have Won't Get Fooled Again and Bob O'Reilly. We'll get into that. But like to me, they weren't – it's it's weird to say. To me, they were never like a hard rock band. They were just like a 60s band that had like an incredible vocalist and like an incredible drummer, et cetera, et cetera. So they were never like hard rock to me. So I, I didn't not like them. I just never really had a passion for them. And I always thought that, like, some of their stuff was a little too, like, artsy, folksy, which is weird, considering that Zeppelin is one of my all-time favorite bands, and they encompass that, too. But I thought Zeppelin rocked way harder than the Who ever did. We'll get into that when we talk about the album. Um, So I never owned Who's Next. This is is the first time I've ever listened to the album in its entirety when Zeus picked it. But I knew five of the songs because you couldn't avoid them. They're all over the radio. But I'm excited to talk about this because I discovered some interesting things spending some time with this album for the last month. So,
0: yeah. So it's it's funny you say that, Tom. It's it's always amazing because we always we have this debate constantly. Like the '70s is the best era in music, in my opinion. Yeah. And then you always like, oh, Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, Kiss, Fleetwood Mac. You always think of that, but people forget how big the Stones were still in the '70s. Oh, hell and yeah! And how huge the Who was in That's the right. '70s. So they're not just the 60s band. They're one of the bands that actually continued even into the 80s. They were still big, still putting out albums that people were buying. The 70s who is, for me, top notch. Mm -hmm. I like the 60s. They're just a heavier Beatles, heavier Stones. Mm -hmm. To me, they're heavier than both those bands. And I always look at it as the Big Four, The Who, Rolling Stones, the Beatles, and the British Invasion, and then you throw in the kinks, maybe, as far as the British Invasion goes. That's it's funny how mentioned- I look. The original version of the British Invasion. The
2: yeah. 60- and-, and Zeus, it's funny you say that because I always, I-, I know they're an all timer for a band, but I always felt Beatles, Stones, Zeppelin were in that tier, and they were just outside it. But they you know, they were always knocking on the door, but I just felt like even though their catalog they were around for twenty years, their styles changed, I just felt they never got to that same level. And maybe it's because some of the things that we'll talk about, you know, rock opera and and doing concept albums and things like that and you know, were they just maybe a little proggy compared to the others?
0: Oh no, I, I completely disagree with you on that. They were just as big of anybody. I mean, there were time they were the biggest by far this era specifically Uh, they were they had their own i mean they were breaking records fucking causing stampedes and people getting killed at concerts we all know about that but the who were the fucking poor kids and they changed how concerts and ticket promoters and all that stuff and the liability with people getting trampled at one of their fucking shows and it just for my money i'm not sure there is a better fucking foursome of musicians Ever in music besides they're Zeppelin. up there, yeah. They're up there <laughs> competing with them. Well, I'll tell
1: you right now, I was thinking of this as I'm listening to this album. I we've done 49, 48 albums on ARC. I, I, I think it would be, I mean, I love Rush and Neil Peart is, yeah, I com- can see them is, yeah. is a completely different drummer than Keith Moon. But Roger daltrey's arguably the greatest vocalist we've ever discussed on ARC, in my opinion. Yep. Uh, not, my, my, well, hold on. Hold on. Might not be Batman my man too. Might not be my favorite. Might not be my favorite. But in terms of, th- I mean, this might be the best band quote unquote that we've ever discussed. And we've discussed some fucking legendary bands on ARC. But I think to me, just kind of getting back to what Murph said about the who to me, when I think of the who I think of first thing I think of is the hits won't get fooled again. and Baba O'Reilly in my generation. But then the thing that kind of separates the who from the other bands is that my mind directly goes to the artsy Tommy rock opera Pete Townsend weirdness that doesn't rock out. And to me, I put them in the same category kind of as Queen, which is a band I never got into because they were very operatic and very mm-hmm. they, they didn't rock hard. They had songs that did. But generally speaking, I never, ever got into Queen. I'm not comparing Queen to the who in in everything but that's where my mind
2: goes when i think of the who other it's the hits and then it's the the proggy artsy stuff zeus you mentioned it uh and uh, as i was listening to the album and then watching some of the uh documentaries you guys uh suggested yeah i was going through the comparison like all right who do you take and whistle john paul jones yep jimmy page Pete Townsend. I mean, it really is. Just Do it. Unbelievable. Do it. Go ahead. There's
1: no, there's nobody from the who that's better than anybody from Zeppelin.
0: Oh, I, I, I completely disagree. I completely. Okay. I it, no, that's fine. I think it goes for, I think it goes, it goes 50, 50. No. John S. Whistle is, is arguably the greatest bass player of all time. His fucking plane is, he is. absolutely He's so- insane. Mm. He's he is unbelievable. Crazy. Fucking just, he's got the quick fingers of, like, you know, you'll see, I, I guess, like, Getty Lee can do crazy yep. shit. And he's got that heavy fucking bass. And, he's st- about. and he stands still like a cardboard cutout. Oh, not, not. <laughs> he makes fucking Spruce Kulik look like fucking. Uh, he looks bored when like he's- Angus Young.
1: The only thing that separate the only thing that breaks the tie for me is John Paul Jones' ability on the keyboards and all the accessories. That he yeah, can do. so
0: he he's got a little bit of, um he's more uh, unique and stuff. He can do stuff. Yeah, but then again, you got this guy who who's singing, plays yep. the horns, plays the piano on yep. songs. Yep. So I would put him up slightly ahead, and I love J.P.J. I know you do. Okay, yeah. Jimmy Page. I okay, it's for not even me, close. It's not close, but music composition, Pete Townsend. Is a top five musical genius in rock and roll, in my opinion. It's top funny. five. Him, it's funny. Brian Wilson, Prince, uh, Stevie Wonder, Thank and you. Smokey Robinson. People like that are so fucking talented, could do everything. Okay. Zeus, I'm I- so glad
1: that you brought up Prince because when I was watching the classic albums documentary on this album, yeah. as I'm watching this and listening to Pete Townsend and watching him compose and talk, I'm sitting there going, this guy, is prince is a british 70s the guy is Rock so prince more he's of a, so yeah. fucking
0: smart it's yeah it's it's painful, painful. How, yeah, how brilliant is painful. he is yep exactly tom watching that documentary on classic album rocks yep him like oh yeah well i just did this i sped this and then i put on the synthesizer and i'm doing that and you're like but his ability to stop like, stop yep. what are you talking about yep <laughs> and then uh if you go back To me, I like Bonzo better than Keith Moon. There are some that will say Keith Moon is better. But for me, John Bonham is definitely is I wouldn't say that much. I like Bonham's drumming better. Keith Moon is absolutely insane. Insane.
1: I will say this to me. Keith Moon is what makes the who a rock band. Because, well, yeah. with, because if Keith Moon, excuse me, if the Who had a drummer like Ringo Starr or Charlie Watts, oh, they would, they, no, no, they, yeah. they would, and, and again, Ringo Starr and Charlie Watts are fucking legendary. But Keith Moon brings the balls to the
0: Who. He blew up a drum set on the Smothers Brothers in 1967. <laughs> he is such a spaz that he has yep. to put tape around his headphones. Yep. Yep, because they kept coming they fall, off. They kept falling and off. He has to tape that on his head because he's insane. But so I think, uh, but but a lot of
1: these songs, and we'll get into it. when We break it down a lot of these songs. Get the balls and the weight from them because of what Keith Moon is doing. Like I said, if you put like even if you put like a Peter Chris or again one of those germos, they're good.
0: Work. They won't work. It won't work. No, but on the other part, Tom, it's not for me. And I and I obviously like Robert Plant. Daltry's, but to me, Daltrey's yeah. a, a 10 yeah. times better singer, and Ooh, 10 times 10 Whoa. times. Ten, Whoa. I, I, but you've heard me talk about it. I'll take David Coverdale over Plant. Ouch. Okay, yeah, Ouch. I mean, and I and I like Robert Plant, but I'm just saying, Daltrey is a better frontman. The fucking shit he does with the mic, and when he's singing, won't get fooled again, and Bob O'Reilly. Duh, Dun, dun, and he's Daltry's swinging the mic fucking legendary and I mean it was the era him cover deal plant good looking blonde, the, blonde man, the rock god wearing the fucking jeans and tight shirts or open shirts swinging the mic it is it is watching them and we weren't even at this but but watching them do won't get fooled again or Bob O'Reilly in that performance video oh, yeah. to show you yeah is about is Glorious of a rock concert Video of a band In it's prime and then you got Pete Townsend Who invented so many Clichés in rock music The Smashing the guitar Smashing the windmill and even just His gawky Long lanky fucking frame And the way his he moves Yeah, rock. He just can't control himself You can tell like he's just so into it Yeah, And he's just so yeah. Weird and it just works It just works and that-
1: i want to hear murph's comparison between the zeppelin and the who in terms of individual members
2: so i would say Entwistle better bass player but it's a toss-up i think what with jpj as zeus mentioned just being able to play mandolin and and all the other instruments townsend i would give i would say pages the better guitarist townsend is the more creative individual you know as you know just what's going on in his head Mm -hmm. um Obviously, brought an energy. I mean, watching those videos, that, and you know, we can talk about later. Of just he's moving around, and it was back then. You had the cord plugged into the amp, so right. just you—you you were like, at any point, he could just go flying. Um, I think toss up between, uh, Moon and and Bonham. I, mm-hmm. I don't think e- either one is uh the right or wrong answer. And then it was with Daltrey, better frontman. I don't think it's even close. I think Plant blows him off the stage as a singer, but. Daltrey had that look uh, watching last night. Won't get fooled again. Christine made the comment going, those pants are pretty tight. <laughs> yes.
4: <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. But it, no, but this is what we get. We have this type of discussion. This is what I wanted when I picked this album. So and, go ahead. And Mar- one, sorry, last, one last, one yeah. last thing.
2: I think, you know, it just, you know, the frontman, the look, you know, I don't think if they did, if Zeppelin did Tommy, I don't think plant gets the nod to be in the movie. I think, you know, Daltrey had that teen idol look. Yeah. That, that just, uh, you know, kind of made it to the masses uh, more broadly than, than, uh, than plant.
1: I think one, one thing about, I just want to go back to the Daltrey plant thing. I think plant. And I think you guys will kind of understand what I'm saying. Plant has the better howl per se. Like if you listen, like Daltrey has the better, rock power he has the rock. right. he's got the more powerful yeah like just and we'll get to it on the song that we're gonna all talk about so they're different but they're the same and i think it depends on what song you want sung as to who you would prefer but again it's it's two sides of the, of the same coin you can't fucking beat him but, you but you're right be when, when he when he is swinging that mic around and yeah. fucking owning the stage i'm like dude i want to Fucking stampede somebody at a concert myself, yeah.
0: <laughs> and just like and in and, and it's like it's that part in um, Bob O'Reilly when it's yeah, like, yeah, and you're just watching Whistle just fucking hit these heavy bassline boom, boom while not moving, and it, yeah, <laughs> and looking <laughs> but that's like why. and looking well, like to like, it's like did I leave right. my oven on at home, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? and then Towns is just going nuts with the windmill and. Keith Moon is, you know, obviously insane back there. It's just, it's the cl- perfect of rock. A, there's a clip of Keith Moon. It, it's
1: fun. I love it because he's banging the shit out of his drum so hard. The snare is like bouncing <laughs> off the kit. Like <laughs> yeah. it's going to fall off. I oh, I fucking love it.
2: Could uh, could you have your followers put a video clip together of Entwistle and Charlie Watts playing together? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah.
5: Oh. yeah. Good stuff, though. Good weak. stuff.
0: All right. Well, let's get into the album itself. So first thing we do, album cover. Mm-hmm. You guys have any thoughts on it?
2: Very uh, interesting. I only found out in recent days what the whole backstory about it was. I assumed as I saw the album over the years, knowing it came out around 70, 71, I thought it was actually some type of reference to the uh monolith in uh 2001 space odyssey um didn't realize it was just something in uh i don't know if it was like a landfill of construction and didn't even realize until two days ago that they had all just taken a piss on that stone and they're all zipping up i actually thought the album cover was really creative but then knowing that detail behind i was like ah it kind of ruined it for me because i just thought it was always a cool look and mysterious and you know trying to get understand what was the the meaning behind it so google kind of ruined it for me a little bit i think it's fucking stupid <laughs> just I, honestly i
1: think it's really i don't get it i mean uh i'm not the most mature person in the world but i think when you got one of the world's biggest rock bands pretending to piss on i just think it's stupid i don't under i don't get it like it, it, it's just it's silly and I don't get it. And I'll tell you because I'm so OCD, the thing that annoys me more than anything is that the N in next is not capitalized. Other than that, I just think it's dumb. They're all zip it up with piss. And I mean, you know, the background, not, not all of them pissed on it. You know, some of them poured like friggin' water on the thing and everything. Um, but I just think it's, I don't know. I just think it's I, I just again, just sound like somebody who's more mature than they actually are. I just think it's silly.
0: Well, it's uh, a photo taken July 4th, 71, by a guy named Ethan Russell. They're all pissing on this large concrete that's just coming out of the ground. Yeah, and it does have kind of a 2001 Space Odyssey kind of theme to it, yep. And they, which they talk about. And they just wanted to do something simple. So the guy took the photo of them pissing on the wall and like, fuck it, let's make this the cover.
1: It's funny. If I didn't know any better, I mean, I know Led Zeppelin presence came out years after this. But, but my instinct is to be like, oh, are they pissing on Zeppelin right now? Like, is that like a little subtlety? But of course, Presence didn't come out until years after Who's yeah. Next. But,
0: no, 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 that's, yeah. that, that's that part. So let's go to the yeah. album itself. Who's Next came out August 2nd, 1971. It's produced by The Who and Glenn Johns, which mm-hmm. always leads me back to thinking about the Eagles and Glenn Johns and the documentaries like, well, they wanted to rock. That's not, you're not rock. You're not the who I <laughs> yes. know rock music. You guys aren't doing this. And I could just picture Don Henley trying to drum and thinking he's like Keith moon. And this guy's like, dude, you're not even in the same fucking ballpark. Yep. And them doing like peaceful, easy feeling yeah. after he just recorded. Won't get fooled, fooled again. again. <laughs> like, dude, are you serious guys? Yeah. Well, anyways, um, The album's gone triple platinum over time. And since this last time, it was, uh, they checked uh, 28 on Rolling Stones in 2003, 2012, uh, greatest rock albums of all time. It went back to 77 in 2020, which always gets me to this point. How did it lose 49 spots from 2012 to 2020? What fucking album it came out during those times that moved this from 28th greatest album down to 77? No, I, th- I don't think anything better came along. I think people
1: stopped buying it because the generation that liked The Who got older and older and older. And as younger music fans started buying albums, nobody was listening to The Who. That's why, yeah, that's why, that, that, that's you why say I say the same it. thing about up.
0: all the classic albums. In that point, my point is there's no fucking great albums that would push this thing down. They came out fucking from 2012 to 2020.
1: No, I don't think it, I don't think anything pushed it out. I think people stopped buying it, so it stayed stagnant in terms of you sales. Could, but
0: you can, like I said, you could say that about all those albums, all those albums from the Stones and the and and Zeppelin and yeah. I mean the same thing that, that happened on Zeppelin albums we have the same comment on Zeppelin Chronicles where those albums dropped dramatically yeah. not only people bought Zeppelin any more than they stopped buying other albums I just I feel know. like these guys uh, all of a sudden Rolling Stones like, Missy Elliott had an album that came out in 2014 that's just so much superior I don't think Missy Elliott's album 50 years later is, has an effect on who's next it's in the top 10 of greatest albums right now. What is? One of her albums. According to who? Rolling Stone. That's what I'm saying. In their magazine, they yeah. drop things down. Yeah, no one. And cares. so shit Nobody like cares. that is what's no, replaced but, is my point. Let's be serious. No one
1: likes Missy Elliott. And the <laughs> fact that she's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a fucking nightmare.
0: Dude, yeah, they put one of her albums in the top 10 of all time. Yeah. Well, that's painfully embarrassing. <laughs>
4: and, and, and
0: we all know why they're doing that. But let's move on. All right. It's also been in Time Magazine's 100 Greatest Albums. 2007 made the Grammy Hall of Fame. Um, It went to number four in the U.S., number one in the UK. It's the Who's fifth studio album. And for those who don't know, uh, Tommy had come out before the rock opera Tommy. Mm -hmm. This was part of a project that was called Lifehouse. Mm -hmm. Was supposed to be something similar. so most of the songs came from that. Yep. And the project got abandoned because no one understood what the fuck Pete Townsend was talking about. And then like Glenn Johns came the idea, like, dude, you got enough good rock songs here. Let's just put an album together from that. Yeah,
1: Pete Townsend was trying to pull like a twenty one twelve, like rush with a story. Rush can do that. Cause they had never done it before. Glenn Johns is like, dude, you just did a fucking rock opera with Tommy enough. This ain't music from the elder stop yeah, well you know, you know and you know was funny when i'm looking at this glenn johns saved this album by saying stop with the lifehouse shit i wonder if somebody said to kiss stop with this there are good songs here let's not do the elder let's do something and salvage the songs like the oath like i like Whatever, Mr. Blackwell, I, I, when, I was, when I was reading about this and studying this, I'm like, Glyn Johns made
2: Who's Next
1: what it is because of his ability to be like, stop with this, let's do this. And I just was like, oh, I wonder if anybody ever did that to Kiss, music from The Elder.
2: I can't believe you just said that, Tommy, because listening to the album continuously this week and knowing that it was kind of the spill out from a concept album. Yeah. I actually heard when one of the songs we'll talk about, I'm like, oh, this sounds like something that was on The Elder. Nice. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that.
0: Yeah, eight of the nine songs, with the exception of "My Wife,"
3: my wife, my wife, <laughs> <can't say> it.
0: <laughs> um, were from the Lifehouse Project. Yep. And so it's prevalent throughout this. So certain songs have certain themes and s- supposed to be sung by certain character in the movie, s- fucking story, play, yep. whatever it was going to be, and you'll be able to tell that. Anything else before we start?
1: I just think it was interesting how Pete Townsend just kind of had kind of like a breakdown, like a, like a nervous breakdown about this and about the collapse of the Lifehouse project. And I just think it goes to show, we kind of, we already hinted at it before, like whenever you're like a muse, like when you are so smart that it affects your ability to like. It's like it, it creates sometimes like a painful life. You hear about like these geniuses, whether they're like artists or musicians or whatever. And I'm not saying that Pete Townsend kind of deserved to have a breakdown, but he had this vision. And when it didn't work, it affected him. But thankfully, you had a guy like Glenn Johns and you had these songs that were in place that he was able to channel in kind of take the best of what that life project was and give us who's next.
2: You know, he wasn't getting inspiration or, you know, using drugs. He, he had mentioned in that, that documentary that he had already, he had dabbled a little bit, but was basically, you know, just other than the occasional drink, wasn't really using anything. So yep. yeah, if, if it's just consuming you, it, it's, you know, can, can take a toll. So not, not surprising to hear that he had a, Semi breakdown as a as a result of uh, the production of the, the the music and the songs. Yeah. So make it similar.
0: That's exactly what happened to Brian Wilson, who was way too fucked up on drugs. Yep. And he did the Smile album, which he tried to get done in 67, and they never really finished it. And he went fucking crazy. Yep, And then, you know, years later on, I think they 2004, three, four, like he finally released it. And, like, with what he wanted to do. But it's not the Beach Boys. It's Brian Wilson's. So, like, he went back to it. The Lifehouse, the who has draw, drawn, like, albums, mix albums, put it together, done it together. Because there's, there's a lot of songs that didn't make this album that were part of that project. He's put it together and put it on uh, various compilations and stuff. So, just like Brian Wilson did with Smile. Yeah. Except that Pete Townsend didn't lose his fucking mind. He was just too busy looking at fucking kitty porn or whatever he was doing for.
1: Ah, there it is. I knew we'd get to that
0: research. Yeah.
1: yeah. One thing before we get into the tracks, I thought it was funny we talk about how they they transitioned away from the lifehouse into the into this. So they were playing at like small theaters, and everyone's like, "What the fuck is going on? What What are you? Do- what is happening here? I can't, I don't know." And, and then there's actually like a story behind Life house. like yeah, and, of course. Again, I, I, I kind of like I like it, like there's that, they're like. Rush twenty one twelve. There's a plot to that story, and if you can friggin decipher all the insanity of it, it's actually kind of a cool plot. But because twenty one twelve, the song itself is in three parts or whatever. It's twenty two minutes long. It's like I don't know what the fuck's happening right now. And I think again, Glenn Johns was like, "Stop, let's do this."
0: Well, he found the rock songs in all that stuff, the good ones, and he pulled them out. So before we get into the song tracks and one of those great rock songs that we discussed, let's take a quick little break.
5: Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. And
0: what a great way to start track number one.
1: The album kicks off with one of the most legendary and iconic rock songs of all time, with which one of the iconic intros of all time with those keys. And of course, Baba O'Reilly comes from two of Pete Townsend's major inspirations, Maymare Baba and Terry Riley, because, of course, song better known as Teenage Wasteland to people like us when we were younger. The way the power of the who Really, really comes through in this intro. I mean, this is a band that really knows how to do a fucking intro. You have that incredible, crazy keyboard sound. Then when that piano slams in, and then Keith Moon comes crashing in with those drum fills. And Zeus, this is where I will say when we were talking about power of Daltrey, out here in the fields, like it, it, I'm like it gets you fired up, and that's what I think Robert Plant. Doesn't do. He can wail and he can howl, but but projecting so much power. And then it's weird again with the Who. Pete Townsend comes in with the chorus "Teenage Wasteland." Then Daltrey does the chorus. It's such a unique song where I think it incorporates everything that the Who is, does. It rocks. It's artsy. It's theatrical. You get the violin section at the end where it speeds up and it's a, kind of like a little hoedown. It it's it's just an incredible song. What what a legendary way to fucking open up an album.
2: A lot of times we'll use the term iconic, all timer. Yep. In in rock and roll. I mean, this this one really does hit all the marks. Um, uh, I think also it's a song that you don't have to be a rock fan. You know this song. You know, it is so popular. You you know, commercials, movies, what have you, but Growing up, yes, it was, it was Teenage Wasteland. And it, you know, it's a song that you just, it gets you pumped up. And as you said, it, it, it works its way up, you know, a different beginning than what probably people were used to at the time. I mean, that's, I think, the creativity with, with Townsend, but it just works its way up. As you said, the piano, the violin, it's got all these different instruments, but at its core, uh, you know, great, great call with, power because Daltrey just, you know, this this is might be, you know, the the best example of what is a power rocker sound like this is, you know, where where I think he shines through. And um I thought you know, Moon always, uh just from the earliest times I remember hearing the song, his just he just comes through the speakers. So there's nothing wrong with this song. I mean it is it is close to a perfect rock and roll Song as you can get,
0: all right. So, Bob O'Reilly, it's written by Pete Townsend. Pete Townsend wrote all the songs with yep. the exception of My Wife with John Entwistle, brought it in. So, I'm just gonna say that for now, I don't have to repeat myself later on. It's in Time Magazine's 100 Greatest Songs of All Time, 159 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs. It's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for songs. 500 songs that shape rock and roll, just like uh bullet boys, uh, shoot the preacher down, Tom. <laughs> you're going make, make me joke. Or, or, uh, heat's, uh, fucking victory, whatever fucking <laughs> Olympic song they
1: had. Whatever. I mean, when you're talking vocalists, I mean, you have Roger Daltrey and then you have like, you know, Joey Tempest, Mark Torrey. <laughs> I mean, that's what we're talking about. Here. Mark.
0: Actually, those guys that do have good voices, they though, do. Okay, I'm just good. fucking around.
1: Um, we got we to gotta
0: give Sonny some shit, even though he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> shit. I, I know that's your punching bag. Shoot the preacher down. <laughs> just Anyways, ridiculous. Um, the song is supposed to be in the Lifehouse storybook. The farmer uh, is singing this, and as he gathers his family around him, And they're about to leave London. Okay. Uh, what I always found interested is Teenage Wasteland. So what does it mean? I've seen and heard Townsend describe it in many different fashions. Not the original, like, oh, fucking people just smoking dope and get all fucking up. Uh, I've heard him talk about it that it's Teenage Wasteland, like, wasted youth. Like, they're not doing anything with themselves. They got all yep. this talent or whatever, and they're just wasted. Like, mm-hmm. you didn't use them properly, or they didn't get... To where they need to go. And that's one of the other interpretations of it. The song was originally going to be 30 minutes. Woo. Thank God it wasn't. Um, it's the theme to CSI. I never watched that show. But I know when I've seen it. Like the the intros to those shows. Yep. I like it because it's in the Summer of Sam. That movie. It's yes. a great scene in that movie. Yep, with yep. That. It's uh, played at the halftime of the Pat's. Uh, for the New England Patriots and the Rangers use it as the New York Rangers use it as their entrance for the playoffs which probably doesn't get played much then um, <laughs> somebody got that <laughs> funny thing is when I first started playing this in the car to um, drive to n- my kid to school and stuff like that at one point my kid says to me oh this song sounds uh, like they, they stole it from One Direction I'm like what? Yes,
1: they, yeah, they definitely did.
0: Yeah, I'm even like, though One what? Direction was. The- I'm like, she's like, it's this is like r- ripping off One Direction song. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Uh, I guess there's a song called uh, I don't know what it's called by One Direction that it sounds very similar. They they ripped off the opening kind of thing of. Uh, Bob O'Reilly, I guess. I
1: don't where else are you gonna get this kind of analysis where we can incorporate one direction into an analysis of who's next? Yes. Nowhere.
0: Yeah. Um, and then Pete Townsend, I supposedly read there where he's like, I don't give a shit if they sign. I like the band. I don't I'm not gonna sue them for it, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Dave Arbus is doing the outro violin, yep. Which they start getting into their fucking little, I don't know what that is, hold down shit like you yeah. talked about. Yeah. But the big thing about for me and this song. And what they talk about it in the documentary, Tom, that we discussed is this is the first time synths were used as not just making weird, awkward noises. It's part of the rhythm. Yes. It's part of the song. Yep. And it's not and it's not just thrown into, you know, like uh, all the weird shit Pink Floyd does this, that beginning synth intro. I mean, the synth is all over this album. Yeah, And it's just like a, a, a guy like Pete Townsend who found this new toy to play with. And he's like, oh, I'm going to fuck. Oh, my God. All oh, the shit I can get from this. And you think 1971. like, yeah, the And he's incredible, incredible. Yep. And you can see the like the fucking monstrosity those synth machines were when he's talking about, oh, this is the original synth machine. You're like, holy. Yeah, it looks like fucking missile
1: command. It's like all the walls. Yeah. And it's like a nice it's in-
2: reference.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he actually controls this and creates it as part of the song. Now, the video that I talk about, it's not really an official video, but it's the one that everyone knows and remembers that and won't get fooled again.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: It is just as we were saying earlier to me, the epitome of rock. End whistle is hitting. <laughs> doom, doom, doom. It is just. Insane how heavy that sounds without being like you know 15 shredding guitars and things like that. Um, and also production that
1: is of the time, it's not bad, but 1971 production is not 1981 production or 1989 production. So I think it just it's a testament to I think the power of the Who that this album Oh, this song
0: has that much balls to it. And you can tell because in the video, Fountain is just hitting a fucking tambourine throughout yep. this. Yep. It's Ed whistles bass That's carrying the whole fucking song. Yep. And it sounds as heavy as possible. Dun, dun, dun. There's no guitar in that. Yep. It's just him. And he's so heavy and he's keeping everything going. And a couple of things that always irked me a little bit about the lyrics. Out here in the fields, I fight for my meals. Yep. I love I get my back into my living like he works hard. He puts his back into it. Uh, I don't need to fight to prove
2: I'm right. Didn't you just say you fight for your meals? Right.
0: (laughs) And then I don't need to
2: fight. As a kid, I actually thought this song was like a war song about
1: Vietnam. Dude, I always thought it was a Vietnam song. And I always thought that's what Teenage Wasteland meant. Always.
0: Yep. Oh, no, I never, I never, I never put that. I never, thought I it always,
1: that it, it probably wasn't until I was like much, much older when I realized what the song was, but growing up here, I, I think in teenage
0: wasteland, I'm like, they're talking about Vietnam. That's what I thought always. And when he starts, you know, out here in the fields, that big bass voice comes in fucking and then Christ. I don't need to be forgiven yep. that line. And then all of a sudden Townsend fucking starts doing the windmill Power chord. Gah, when he comes, yeah, when he comes gah, in with that gah. chord. Oh yeah. And he's like fucking all gyrating, doing all shit. And Keith Moon is going nuts, and Entwistle's just fucking power bass And and you know, Daltrey's right in front singing. Oh my god, it's rocking perfection. Yep. Fucking yeah, I mean, shit. it's so cool. It's like the coolest thing for me. Yep. Uh, anyways, that's song one. Let's go to song number two.
1: which was ruined by me with that endless loop of the Nissan car commercial. And I don't know if it was the nineties, the two thousand, whenever it was constantly couldn't fucking hear this song. I'm going to tell you right now, I never liked this song before the Nissan commercials. And I still don't like it because Nissan ruined it. Now I will kind of put that aside and look at it from what's going on with the song musically. Keith Moon, again, let's just get out of the way. Fucking, he brings balls to all these songs. Daltrey's vocals got an incredible howl. But then the weird part, like most of these songs, Pete Townsend comes in and I'm like, did the song just change without telling me? Like, he's like, ah, 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 ah. I'm like, what, what, what is going on here? You know, but then throughout this album, and there's one song I'll specifically get to, but I'll bring it up here. Keith Moon he has never met a drum fill that he didn't ah, love.
0: I fucking had that
1: line. That is all he is doing is drum fills. And, I, and I'll tell you right now, I say this, I nothing, I love the drums. So Keith Moon is my man. And the the best part of this song, the whole outro is like a drum solo. <laughs> yep. But that being said, I, it's not a song I go to. I, I don't, it's not a it's not a fan favorite, but musically, Keith Moon, I, I just fucking love what he's doing there.
2: So, I, I'm, I'm I guess I'm leaning towards your position on this, Tommy. That um, it's it's a classic. You we've heard it. You'll you'll always hear it. It's going to be in rotation, classic rock. But and the lyrics, actually, looking it up, it's, it's a really well written song. It is. I agree. But it's just yeah, something about it. I, I don't know if and you know, getting into it, and I know we've already talked about it, but it's like I'm sitting there going, would Plant do a better job on this Ooh. than than Daltrey Because okay. the lyrics okay. are there, the sound is there. So you think it's too powerful? You think Daltrey is too powerful for the type of song it is, maybe Be- because if it was if it was plant, you don't have Townsend come in to do that piece. I think he could do the whole plant would yeah. take it take down and just do it all on his okay. own okay okay i mean it, it's to me it is i feel like i should like this more than i do yep because all the elements are there but it's just something i can't put my finger on that gets it over the edge and maybe subconsciously from those commercials because thinking <laughs> about it now can't explain the who yeah. put a lot of, of the music out there on yep. commercials in the the 90s and the aughts the fucking
5: commercial
0: land are not fucking buying Winger's fucking discography to put on for commercials. Why
1: well, you don't think state of emergency should be on the new Jeep
0: commercial <laughs> <laughs> or Kip Winger's version of Purple Haze? Holy fucking catastrophe! Anyways, uh, bargain to me. I, I I mean, this is one of those like mm, deja vu. Why do I know this song? I've always had that feeling about the song. I, I like it a lot. Uh, it's Pete uh, Townsend's favorite song on the album. Supposedly a love song, but not about love, more about mm-hmm. God. And it's about his affection for the fucking Mahatma Gandhi guy, whatever the fuck his name is. Baba the elephant. Whatever his name Baba is. Baba Ganoush? <laughs> Yo Gabba Gabba? <laughs> Well, it's supposed to be about him and like his devotion to him and what he says and his love and what he wants to do. Mehar Baba's uh, about losing one's ego as a as a devotee of that person uh, of that uh, belief or God or whatever you want to call it. Uh, there is a a part in the song, and again, it's end whistle. After every verse, there's a low boom. 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 Yep. I fucking love it. He, it just like he, his bass sticks out. The drums are absolutely insane from yep. the start of this song to the end. Keith Moon, he's got to be fucking exhausted by the end of a concert with all the shit he's doing. He's never just on the backbeat. Well, that's what I was just going to say. He, he's, it's never bass snare, bass snare, no,
1: bass snare. No. It's always, and in that, and the, the best part of that classic albums documentary is you can see the smile that Daltrey gets out when they're playing like isolated. Oh drugs. yes. And yes. they're talking about how fucking money, it, he brought a smile. He's like, listen to this. And then you hear this insane fill, and they all just <laughs> yeah. break into laughter.
0: Yeah, it's, it's great. And, and what's interesting is I always find that this is a type of band that you have like three, everybody's like a solo artist doing yes. their own thing, and it somehow it works. Yep. Like, end whistle is not going whatever the fuck. What's his name is doing on drums, Moon, right. and and what's his name, Towns is doing his own thing, and then you got the vocals running its own melody. It's just four instrumentalists just going yeah. fucking nuts. Yep. Um, the drums, as I said, were insane. But the vocals for me, after Roger says the best I've ever had, all of a sudden, Moon comes in with those fills, and then he comes back, the best I ever had. Screams it. Oh, my God. It's perfect. Yeah, and you're right. The P- I don't know what the Townsend bridges are. They're all over this stuff. like. But I can imagine because all the demos and everything is done by Townsend. He's singing yeah. everything. And he's like, this is what we want to do. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to keep this part. I'll do this part. And um, I like the acoustic build right back into the rock. And there's that synth in it kind of like thing going on at the end on that outro. And then they go back to it again and end with it. And the acoustic part to it comes in. There's a lot of shit musically happening on this stuff that that's where we get back to and be like, dude, Townsend is, is fucking insane. The way they made this all kind of work. Between him doing the acoustic guitar, the rock guitar, the synthesizer, Moon in his fills, Entwistle in his bass, it's just a lot. And the fact that they get this all done correctly also goes kudos to Glenn Johns, who's a fucking incredible producer. So yep. I'll give him credit for that because this sounds incredible. Um, let's go to track number three, the Zeppelin song. <laughs>
1: Zeus said it. Love ain't for keeping the best song Zeppelin never recorded. <laughs> That's what I call this. Really? I think this is the best song that Zeppelin never made. I thought you, I figured you would fucking hate this and say, what are they trying to be? Led Zeppelin? Nope. I fucking think this song is beautiful. It's incredible. The, uh, the, the acoustic sound, Daltrey's vocals, the, the groove, it proves that he can do more than one thing. And one of my favorite parts of the song is the acoustic solo. And then you got those backing vocals kind of like humming along like this song belongs on like Zeppelin three. What song?
2: Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: What song does this remind you of? Oh, God, uh, a, 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 a lot of Zeppelin songs. You know what this reminds me of? Go ahead. Guitars and the way it comes out. It sounds yeah. like, hey, hey, what can I do?
2: Yes, exactly. Yes, yes absolutely, Zeus. I was that's just right? about to say that. That's it. That's, pro-
1: and that's probably the and jungle first jungle one that pops mountain. into my head, but it could be a bunch of different, but it's definitely the Who's version of, hey, hey, what can I do? I think yeah. it's a fantastic song, and I'm shocked that this was never like a single. I can't believe this is buried into a deep cut. Really? Of yep. I love it. I love it.
2: Yep. Had it had it noted as after the first two songs, you know, all power, then it just totally pivots in another direction. This is just a great acoustic song, awesome lyrics. You know, just it, it it's you know it's not totally stripped down, but coming out of the last two, it it feels that way. And yeah, I, I'm I'm not gonna keep saying it. It's just, Daltrey did a great job on it, but with the best song that Zeppelin never wrote and, and sung, this absolutely should be on Zeppelin oh, yeah. three. Yeah. It's it's a great, great tune. And um mm-hmm. uh, never heard it before me neither. This week. So this was one of uh two surprises in in a pleasant way for me on this uh on this album.
0: Yep. The greatest song Zeppelin ever wrote was Lonely as a Night by Billy Squire.
2: Ah, you love that. <laughs> yeah, talking,
0: like, we yeah, all picked nobody, it, I think, number one. I yeah, think. Nobody's fault but mine. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yep. Or yep. Barracuda, they Barac- said. Right? Well, yeah. Uh, Loving for keeping. It's like an acoustic country song. There's no synth in this, which is very different. Which I think makes it stand sense. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, this is... This is where I i I'm like no leave this to Robert This isn't where Roger Daltrey It doesn't work for me okay. it's, it's uh it's hippie shit It's hippie love psychedelic Shit it sounds totally. like yep. oh, Love ain't for keeping Like it. But I like it, that they can do more than one thing Yeah it, there's an earlier version And you guys should look it up and find It which like for me I um Now I'm gonna have to look it up but for me, uh, I I love uh, Led Zeppelin's uh, Bronny R Stomp." Oh yeah, right. Yep, yep. And they also on Bronny R Stomp" they did an uh, acoustic. I'm uh, not acoustic. An electric version of that song, which they called "Jennings Farms Blue." Apparently, the real version of this or the earlier version is with electric guitars, and they had Leslie West. From Mountain do lead guitar on it. That's out there. And you can hear a a, a rocking version of this song, which which is interesting. So I'd love to hear what you guys think if you ever listen to that. But again, for me, uh, I don't know. I prefer the other stuff on this. Like the next song.
3: My wife, my wife. This is my wife. This is my other wife.
1: Okay, my wife, John Entwistle on vocals. Um, So I'm going to pull something out of here that I know Zeus and Murph will understand, but not since Pearl Jam's Yellow Leadbetter has there been a more indecipherable fucking lyrical song on planet Earth. I have absolutely no clue what the fuck he is saying about. It says something about a precinct, and I don't know what this is, it's nice that they got a little surprise for you tonight. We're going to turn the microphone over to John Entwistle. John, wake up. John, this, <laughs> this is just not good. It's just not good. It's why he can't sing. I he 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 can't sing. He can't enunciate. I don't know what's happening. It's just not good. The only thing that I like about this song, which is kind of stupid, is I like the horns at the end. Like when it's like but other than that, I'm like, this what is it's just not good. It's just not good. Murph, go ahead, take it. I fucking love
2: this song. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought he sounded like Ringo. Because just the deep, okay. deep, deep, deep sound. I I actually was watching when I was watching the, the documentary. I had the subtitles, so I know the lyrics now and I understand it's tongue in cheek, but I really, really liked his sound. I you actually like? thought, you know, it, and and maybe it's because he knew what his range was. He stayed within it, but I actually had the note of after listening to this album 15, 20 times this week, I, in the moment, This was the one I enjoyed the most because the others I know. Well, and and, like the rankings are going to fall out the other way because they've been part of my life. But this having four or five songs on this album come up for the first time, I really enjoyed this. But then with the horns made me think of the uh, the the imitation you guys did for uh, Elder with the. (laughs) I will say this.
1: The the arrangement of the song itself is okay, but it just entwistles just rambling incoherence. Just it distracts me from the song.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, going from Teenage Wasteland to I need lead boots to to get away from my wife, you know, I mean it, it is going in a different direction. And you know, you, you I don't know if it was filler, but I think it was filler. Oh, it's filler. <laughs> it's filler. My wife, written by John
0: Entwistle, the only other song not written by uh, he towns it So this is the one, the only song really that he pulled in That wasn't part of the project The Lifehouse Project And Entwistle got tired of singing Boris the Spider Live So he's like let me do another song And I can say that would be my version So the Ace Frehley Shock Me version Where he gets to sing a song For me I can pick Murph or I can pick Tom I am 100% Team Murph Okay Fucking love this song you know what his voice sounds like? It no. sounds like somebody put Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey together and got the middle voice in between them. Well, I had and never it, heard this before. So when it first played, I'm like, that
1: doesn't sound. I'm like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, because yeah, I, I, like, I didn't know John Entwistle had a vocal on this. So I'm like,
0: this sounds, what is going on here? So I went to Wikipedia. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> he sounds like a guy with a big beard and he's singing through a mustache <laughs> or singing through a beard. But i I mean it's the comic relief on the album, supposedly Townsend said it was the best rock number on the album. I fucking love the melody and I, his voice works with me on it I agree I, the lyrics are funny and cool um all it, it's a part of the song where he says all I did was uh one um was have a uh a bit too much to drink and it makes me think of the um the part in uh, Rod Stewart's Maggie Mae, All I Needed Was a Friend. All I Needed Was a Drink. Both those songs are very similar. The horns I fucking love, which he did. Yes, I like those the piano too. And the part of the horns, this is the thing I said to you the other day. I said, Hey, remember this. And I put it online. It is that Italian song from the 70s. Have you ever seen this? The gibberish one? The gibberish song. Uh, and then the dance and the guy's dancing <laughs> yep. and it, it, it's called like
2: yeah it's, got some, it's got some,
0: yeah it's some big word and it's yeah. a, like he's like a, a, an Italian singer but he's also like a linguist Yep. and he came up with the theory like you fucking Italians will buy anything English if it sounds English you'll buy it so he just made that song with all gibberish English words that yep. make no sense and it became this huge <laughs> hit it's and like he Peter dances. Rippen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he dances like really cool and shit. There's a, it's a big, huge thing, I guess, in Italy. Yep. But it's cool as fuck. But in that, dun, 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 burm, 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 that horn comes in. That's what it reminded me of. Yep. Fucking <laughs> love it. Love it.
4: Breeze and
6: cold in Ains and I the, the cold maze, say one.
4: Breeze and cold in Ains and I choose all. All right.
0: Is what you would say a deep cut. And it's one of those things on an album that you find something like some, a lot of people found Heart of Stone in the last album. Like, oh my God, this out. I didn't expect this. Where did this come from? This is my song. My wife is my favorite deep cut on this fucking album. Love it. Love it. I love the melody. I love the lyrics. It just works for me. Now, let's, uh, How many puns can we come up with this? The next track, The Song Is Over. The
3: song is over. saw behind me I should have known it She tried to find me
4: Our love is
3: all
1: So the song is not over because it's still going on because it's long, but that's okay. I always say, where do we have to be? We can afford to listen to long songs. Uh, this song really, r- really hit me. This was, this was a nice, a nice surprise because incredibly beautiful melody, the arrangement with the piano. Hansen has his vocals fit this so perfectly because he has such a, a melancholy tone to his singing. So when he's singing our love is over, this song is over, it's so beautiful. But then when Keith Moon crashes in and Daltrey just rips the mic and he just says I sing my song to the wide open spaces. Like that's the power that we're talking about with Daltrey. And Zeus, I I can't wait to hear what you think about this because I know you love kiss songs where Paul and Gene share a vocal. So a song like this it's two songs in one. It's the it's the thoughtful, sad song by Townsend, and then just the power ballad by Daltry. Um, and it definitely has some Zeppelin feel to it as well. Here, I could feel some Zeppelin in this as well, especially because it was long. Zeppelin obviously loves long songs, but this was a real revelation to me when I heard this. I had never heard this song before on this album until I played it. And I just think it's a beautiful song. Power and beauty
2: all in one for the from the Who for me here this song was a dud for me uh Ooh. i knowing that it was you know with the album it was the last song on side one knowing what was the original idea for the album they were they were going for something here and i i appreciate that uh-huh. and whereas i like some of townsend's vocals um uh, you know as we said earlier you know let my love open the, the door his voice did not work for me on this, but I did appreciate them going back and forth. And I thought that they played well together on it. Um, But for me, it, it just, you know, this, this was a tough one to get through going over no it time and again. Wow. But I, by the end of, you know, listening to it this week, I just, I was just waiting for moon's part and yeah. just how he takes out this song is you know this is where i felt like he shone the brightest because there's the other pieces it was soft and then he comes in and kind of pounds the hell out I'm of i'm surprised murph because you usually like wimpy music i, I love my acoustic <laughs> i love my sappy <laughs> pillow hugging music yes, I, know, I know that's i'm kind of blown away that this didn't touch you the way it touched me but that's okay and it might be and it might just come down to who was singing it good point okay fair enough the song is over this is uh, obviously
0: part of the Lifehouse project, and it takes place after the police invade the Lifehouse theater, and the concertgoers disappear. And everyone leaves. Um, you know, there's the two contrasting voices. There's a lot of metaphors supposedly in this song. Um, it's a big part of the story in the book, but it's a good look. It's a good ballad. I like more when Roger's voice comes in, and I love trade-off with singers. And I like the very various types of um, vocals between Peter and uh, uh, Pete Townsend and um, Roger Daltrey. Uh, When he starts singing, I'll sing my song to the wide open spaces. Fucking awesome. Keith Moon is going absolutely insane. Just incredible. Incredible. And then just all the stuff going on at the ending and outro of the song is over. You have got synth going. You got an electric. You got the acoustic. That's you've why got, I love it. it. It's very Brian Wilson Pet Sound shit. There's a million moving parts going on at the ending outro of it. This is why I understand where people are like the Beatles are brilliant. Like the shit that they're doing musically. Yep. And you know maybe a song moves you, up but it's just. Just compositions of the song and the vocals and the instruments and all that stuff. This is why I get what people compliment Brian Wilson, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, and Keith uh, and Pete Townsend. It's a lot of shit going on. It's in a good song, too. It's a real good song. All right, let's turn the album over. Side two opens up with this.
3: No cuz it fits in well with the cards I'm playing I can't pretend there's any meaning hidden in the things I'm saying But I'm in tune right in tune I'm in tune and I'm gonna tune
0: Getting in tune. Getting right in tune. on tune. <laughs> uh,
1: another just awesome revelation for me when I heard this. I love Elton John and I love Billy Joel. So I love like singer songwriter type piano stuff. Again, these are the, I like when songs like this start off very like thoughtful and emotional. And then the band just kicks in and just Daltrey just takes off. It, it it in the ver when the verses come in, there's little guitar fills at the end of each lyric. John Entwistle's bass line is fucking out of this world. It's got an awesome call and answer style chorus that I love. But then the then I just started laughing, and I don't know if we've been doing this for too long or whatever. But when he's like when he starts saying I'm just banging on my old piano. And then it's like getting in tune with the straight and narrow. I'm all I'm picturing is the fucking Muppets and oh Rolf. my god, I had I had Rolf, I had Rolf. <laughs> yes, yeah, thank you. Yes, yes. I'm all picturing is Rolf banging on the piano, and then like Kermit just sitting there going getting in tune with the straight, and everybody just bouncing along. But that, I mean, but I love that. And then of course it speeds up again. You get an outro that kind of changes gears real fast, real sped up. It's a great song. And uh, you know, again, I I'm I'm pissed off that you know I spent fifty-one years of my life not ever knowing this song because I think it's a I think it's a great one. Another fantastic deep cut.
2: I can't believe we were roommates for four years. This Imagine song, that. this song just didn't connect. Now here's What why. is the
0: matter with you?
2: Here's here's the reason it, whose why. Idea Who, whose idea was it to bring Mark?
1: Whose idea was it to bring did Sonny poonie pay you? No.
2: Jesus, Jesus Christ, Murph! Look, I, I'm listening to the lyrics. I just saw Book of Mormon two That's weeks ago. That's not a good thing. I but, but I'm, <laughs> I'm picturing as a song. I'm sitting at a, at a theater, and you know, I'm getting in tune. I picture him singing like this is a uh, one of the numbers in the the musical. Yeah, I, I, could, just, I, I know what you mean. I could see that with the lyrics. So it's, the, it's a little theatrical.
4: it's It's part of
0: a it's part of a fucking yeah
2: yeah project right right, yeah right no and that's it It, it's just if this is where it was going for townsend this is you know everyone's going straight and narrow straight and narrow and then just straight and narrow but (laughs) so i i think just it got in my head um but i mean look my wife i like you know this one here it's just uh yeah the, the piano, the Muppets, the Muppets saved the song for me, at least.
0: <laughs> nice. All right. So getting in tune as Tom and I was uh, starting this uh, episode, we were saying to each other <laughs> was right on you, tootin right on you, <laughs> right on you. I'm in get- tune. I'm in tune. <laughs> I'm, toot. I'm tooting on you. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, it's a contrast of the singing and writing for the purpose and, and actually writing as a, just being a rock star. So, you know, he's writing this song. Am I writing this just to fucking put something out there and be a rock star? Or am I writing anything with meaning? What am I doing here? Uh, There's no real synth on this song. It's on the Jerry Maguire soundtrack. So there's a part where he says, I'm singing this note, because it fits in well with the chords I'm playing. I can't yep. pretend there's any meaning hidden in this thing I'm saying. It, it, that's basically the the contrast of what am I doing? And he's analyzing himself as to what the purpose of being a musician and things like that on what it does for me. It reminds me of Nirvana's on a plane. Uh, you know, what the hell am I trying to say? It's now time to make it unclear, write off lines that don't make sense. Similar kind of thing. Like, what am I doing? What am I writing? Am I really writing about this? Or am I really writing about this? just being coy and stuff? And I, and I, and I like that contrast because this, this was done originally in 71. He's yep. writing about that because no one knew what rock stars and what they're like. This rock stars are only since the 50s. Yep. So, I mean, this is kind of new. Uh, but the fucking callback, I love it. Right on you, and then right back on you, back and forth. Oh, it's so fucking good. And then even the intro, getting into to the straight and narrow, and Roger Daltrey's going nuts, love Moon's it. going nuts. What a fucking outro! I love this song. Love Me it too. Yep, yeah. All right, let's go mobile.
1: This will be quick and easy. I don't like the song. I oh. never like this song. I don't like the Townsend's vocals. uh The only thing I like about this song is if you listen to this from start to finish the keith moon it's one long drum fill. it, it listen next time you listen to this song, pay attention what to what he's doing there's no There's no drum beat. <laughs> he is just doing fills the entire time, which I think is fucking phenomenal. Townsend's voice, he does sound great, and whistle sounds great. I just don't like the song. And again, there's a there's a drum outro here again where Keith Moon just goes nuts. So Keith saves the song for me, but I just don't like the melody. I just don't like the tone. It's just I just don't like the song itself. But thank you, Keith Moon, for making it listenable for me.
2: So it was probably the fourth or fifth time listening to it that I realized Daltrey's not on this yeah it's just the other three, and in my notes, I had this as another song that could have been on Led zeppelin three okay I thought I thought musically, I thought they sounded awesome, yeah, yeah, you know, once again, it's just and you know and and I mean, look, I can't fucking carry a tune, but it it's, right it's, in tune <laughs>
4: <laughs> sorry,
2: <laughs> I'm thinking of that Chris Rock commercial. Oh, God. <laughs> um. So, yeah, uh, actually. I'll... So yeah, unbelievable sound. I thought it was a great jam. It almost seemed like it was just something that would have been on a, kind of like a bootleg, if you will, an outtake. Um. Right. But I, I agree that Townsend's voice just didn't do it for me. But I actually, you know, compared to some of the other songs that I've commented on i i did find this more entertaining because i think it's just that acoustic uh jam element to it uh
0: going mobile so for me the acoustic version this is something i wish i could learn how to play an acoustic guitar and i could sing this yeah it's like a fun song you could do it going mobile it's like something that's just a fun little trio of a song uh this is you're correct The the second song where Daltry doesn't do anything it's a power trio just like uh, my wife there's no real doll tree on that either and it reminds me of the old fucking keith richard's comment why don't you sing more songs on stone's album what would mick do (laughs) (laughs) it's a (laughs) true but you know sit there with the uh, tambourine that's what That's where you see Daltrey doing like those songs and just sit there or he I've seen videos of him uh, with um, because I I watched my wife live and he's just like just in the background doing like the white guy dance kind of like to the song or he'll hit a tambourine. What else is he going to fucking do? Uh, But it's part of the life house story where the pollution and stuff is taken over and people are told not to stay where they are. But people have a lust for life and adventure. So says Pete townsend Uh I like it. I think it's a fun little melodic song. And I like his voice. It's like a little sweet little voice that he has on this song. Yep. Um, there's a part in the middle of the song where he goes, oh, he woo, beep, beep. Oh, how did I forget that part? He's like, I'm like, what the what the what that's is when happening? he ran into Prince on the on the fucking genius musicians uh uh meeting that he had. He said, Hey, hey. Prince, BB, <laughs> dude, is there anything less rock and roll than going? <laughs> like, what? Uh, there's a solo, and then fucking Moon is just going nuts. And the guitar and the synth going on there. I like it. I think it's a fun little ditty. And uh, let's go to the next track.
3: No one knows what it's like To be the bad man To be the sad man Behind the blue eyes No one knows what it's like To be hated To be faded To telling only lies But my dreams, they aren't as empty As my conscience seems to be I have hours only lonely My love is vengeance That's never free What it's like to feel these feelings like I do, and I blame you. No one bites back as hard on their anger. None of my pain and woe can show through, but my dream. That's never free. Mm-hmm. When my fist crunches, crack it open before I use it to lose my cool. When I smile, tell me some
1: All right. We got a legendary song here behind blue eyes. So the first half of this song haunting the acoustic tone, the harmonies, the backing vocals to me, this is the song on the album. That sounds very dated. It sounds very sixties, very Simon and Garfunkel ish, which I love Simon and Garfunkel. I love Paul Simon. I grew up listening to that stuff in my house, but then when the song turns the corner and rips, and the band kicks in, you're like, holy shit. And again, Roger Daltrey with that power in in the images that he's singing about, you know, stick your finger down my throat, like all this shit. It's just, it's just a wild song. Um, but I just don't really like that first half of it. Like, again, I like that kind of acoustic singer songwriter stuff, but I don't know. It, I like the song. It's just I don't think I feel this is one of those songs. I feel like I should like it more than I do, but I do like it. And the band sounds amazing. And this is another perfect example of the power of Daltrey. So, I mean, it's a classic for
2: a reason. 100% agree, Tommy. Uh, Classic won't skip it or change the station if it it comes up. But I almost feel guilty that I should like it more, that it's something that I'm missing out on. What I picked up on is to me, this song reminded me a bit of Babe, I'm gonna leave you. It's it so there off, you go. There you go. It starts off you know, slow, trippy, haunty, and then I have it from two two minutes twenty seconds on, I love it. It's just the first yeah two minutes of it that uh, I just, I don't know. And I know it's more me because it is a great song. It will always be played on radio, but it's just something where, you know, I I think that's why I love this band, but it's for songs that are, you know, earlier during their like mod era. And then kind of later on, you better, you bet. But uh, for the, this one here, I mean, it's always going to be a staple on, on the radio.
0: So behind blue eyes was actually the second single they made it to number 34 in the US. Uh Lifehouse Project part uh sung by the main villain Jimbo and he's angry and full of angst and he does understand cuz he feels he's a good guy, which when you know that story then it makes the so- the song makes complete fucking sense. Yep. Um Pete thought the song wasn't in character for British uh, to be a single in Britain. So he didn't release it there, but he released it in the U S and elsewhere. Uh, the guitar riff at the end is uh the rock part is in the bridge of won't get fooled again. So it's a mm-hmm. like kind of a, like a link to between both of the songs. Uh, I find the lyrics haunting. I, 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 I mean, it's just, it hits you real hard. You know, no one knows what it's like to be the bad man. You you get it, what he's singing, uh, you know, what he's trying to portray behind Blue Eyes. When when Daltrey hits, but my dreams, I'm not oh, going to yeah. attempt it. They aren't yeah. as empty as my conscience seems. Dude, his vocals are phenomenal on mm-hmm. the song. And then he gets into the fucking rock version. You know, when my fist clenches, crack it open before I use it and lose my control. Lyrics, vocals, it's off the charts. It's a beautiful song. It suffers for me because of fatigue factor. Yes. Um, But the 220 mark, when the rock comes in, everybody fucking loves that stuff. And then it circles back to the soft beginning again. No one knows what it's like. I just think it's a genius song Mm -hmm. that suffers from, all right, we heard it. But when you fucking first hear those lyrics, probably when you first heard that song, no one knows what it's like, you know, to be the bad man or no one's like to be hated. I mean, it's fucking those. That's deep shit. Um, I love the song, but it does suffer from fatigue from me. So, all right, let's go to why I picked this fucking album.
1: Again, my opinion, one of the greatest songs in the history of rock music. Another intro that is legendary. You know the song as soon as you hear it. And when that drum kicks in and when the guitar riff kicks in, it's just this is to me what fucking classic rock is all about. But to me, the one thing that'll just make this song timeless is the single greatest scream in the history of rock music ever. Yeah. He teases you a little bit at around the 430 mark. There's one. But when you have that little kind of musical interlude with there's really nothing going on, no vocals, and then right around the 730 mark, you have Keith Moon with just a fucking insane drum fill section. He's been doing the entire album. And then you get that scream, the greatest scream like ever. And when you watch the video or the live footage of this, it's fucking absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's kind of difficult to talk about a song like this because it's been around our entire lives. Um, but there is that kiss connection there. Yep. They used to play this. We used to hear that, that's that organ synth intro at the beginning and you'd know that something's going on here. Plus kiss occasion would throw it in the middle of a little, um, kind of little medley in the middle of, the, of their performances back at one point mm-hmm. uh but the song is just it's fucking classic it's just it it's a per, it's a perfect song some people might say it's too long and maybe there are sections of it where you're listening to it you're like ah eh, all right let's move along but for me
2: perfect i had in my notes that this song is eight minutes long and feels like it's four it just there you go i i, I this you know between the song itself you, you, you listen to it. You hear they're all at, at their best. But then when you see the video. Oh, yeah. It just it, I, I just think the, the combination. I, I don't know if there's song video that can top it. Watching Entwistle play it that I just I cannot get over how crazy he is going working yeah, that bass. It's insane. And, and, and I'm looking at it going he must drive his wife crazy in bed with this. Finger. My wife, <laughs> my wife. Um, and then for me, I mean, as much as I've kind of critiqued some of the things I've felt about adultery on this album, this is him at its best. And for me, you know, as I talked about early on, you know, kind of the early images as a kid, I had of Pete Townsend on COZ, the, the Boston rock station. Him at the end when he does that slide towards the camera. That's one of the greatest clips in rock history, in my opinion, because it's just got everything. You have Daltrey in the background wailing and he's coming right at you. And he is just on fucking fire in this song. I mean, it's just, it gets them all at their best. I I could talk about this song all day. Yep. Won't
0: get fooled again. It was, um, Number nine in UK, number 15 US, 295 and Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Hits. Rolling Stone calls this the number one Who song. Uh, it's the closing number for the Lifehouse Project. It's uh, usually closed their set. And it's the last song that poor uh, Keith Moon played live. Uh, it's about the main character in, this, in, the mo- in, the, in the Lifehouse Project. Bobby is killed. And Townsend said it screams defiance of those who feel any cause is better than no cause. The lyrics on this song, so before I even get to the music, are are just genius. Genius. It's very, very political. And, Mm And it's literally about, I mean, you could probably take a different interpretation, but to me, it's about all this shit that everybody's saying and fighting for and all this stuff. It's the fucking same old shit. Nothing is going to change. <laughs> like the end, meet the uh, meet the new boss. Same mm-hmm. as the old boss. What, what are the great lyrics? Oh, my God. Uh, so, and I like the part where it's like, I just pick up my guitar and play. Meaning, like, I'm just going on my shit. I'm doing my thing, and all this mm-hmm. shit's happening up. We I tip my hat to the new constitution for the new revolution. But in the end, I just hope they won't fuck us over again. And they fucking do. Every time. And it's, it's political in the sense like everybody's always for the people, I always think. And that's when you get all the f- like the fucking, like the socialists and the communists to fight for the people. And you think of Russia in the 1990, it's all the leftist, leftist, leftist. And as soon as they get into power, they become fascists and fuck everybody else. So, and now the parting on the left is now parting on the right. And that's it's all political shit, and all the beards have grown longer overnight. Genius fucking lyrics. It is. Off the fucking charts. And, you know, what he's doing, you know, he'll get on his knees and pray. You know, we don't get fooled again. And just meet the new boss. It's the same as the old boss. Fucking genius. Now, the music itself, once again, the sync is throughout this whole fucking album. We discussed it. But how much is the synth playing in this background? Yep. Right?
1: It's amazing. It's amazing. It's
0: fucking, fucking incredible. Insane. Yep. <laughs> oh, my God. Dan, 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 Just, and the power chords and all this stuff that come in. Um. It's, I, I mean, I can't, you already mentioned the scream, Tom. Oh, which is incredible. Yeah. The, I mentioned the synth, uh, the insane uh, synth which is gives it so much better of a feeling. Even there's a good rock uh, guitar solo in there, and I'm not a big talented guitar solo guy because I don't think there's anything really that I've listened to on this album that's legendary. No. But, I mean, there's a decent solo here on this one. If you just watch that live concert video of this song and you're not saying, God damn it, this is one of the greatest, like, bands caught at their greatest height and maybe the greatest of of any rock band ever at its height zeppelin on the top of the mountain uh, you know the stones or the who and that's the moment for the who to me And I I don't give a shit. You know where this is going to fucking land. I'm going to say it right now. This is the greatest rock and roll song of all fucking time for me. This, there's nothing that's going to top this vocally, musically, lyrically, and performed live. Nothing. So this is why this album was picked. And I, I won't, I can't see anything ever beating this for me on ARC. Wow. Nice. Okay. So, before we go into the rankings, let's get our final thoughts. Um Murph, why don't you go ahead?
2: All right. Well, uh I, I'm really glad that you reached out and asked me to uh to participate in this one because I, I feel like I knew a lot about the who, but uh this album allowed me to do a lot of research and, and get into a better understanding of just what was going through the mind of Townsend, how creative an individual he was and just you know i I, I took for granted and didn't appreciate how powerful these four are together and that you know they really these four can go up against anyone in rock history so uh it was uh it was a nice treat and and as I mentioned, you know there were only four songs that I was familiar with so it was it was cool to. Go deeper into their catalog and i i think you know a, after we wrap up here i'll i'll still be uh dabbling in in their uh their catalog
1: yeah i was i was glad that you picked this album zeus because i the the who is other than like other than the hits or like the rock radio songs that we've all heard for our entire lives the Who is just a band i never got into you know kind of a blind spot for me but um this album i it's it's a fucking fantastic listen i mean it's got the classics you know it's got the songs that you've heard and then the deep cuts are spectacular and watching that documentary the classic albums documentary on who's next was just incredible behind the scenes on just hearing what everybody had to say just great stuff it uh, you know i'm glad that we kind of went really way back into the way back machine for
0: some classic rock red album yeah i don't see us as far as like, because most of our stuff is hard rock and stuff, I can't think of a harder rock album prior to '71, really. I mean, maybe, maybe Black Sabbath stuff, okay? But
1: other than uh, something that's not Zeppelin, which we would cover on Zeppelin Chronicles, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say Black Sabbath, but this is about as heavy as you're gonna get in the early, early '70s. Mm-hmm. So, but I wanted to get this because there's a couple songs that are all times for me, and sometimes albums don't have to be even but they have to have some songs that mean something to you and have an interest for you. And this is one of those albums that I specifically picked for that reason. And I would love to get the feedback from people and the ones that don't know this or are tired of this. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, won't get fooled again is on fucking a million movies and a million TV yes. shows, CSI yep. bullshit and stuff. Yep. Like that. Yep. But anyway, um, anybody that, uh, you know, wasn't sure about it, I, you should listen to this album. I think, and hopefully you'll uh experience something. And for those that do know this, glad uh uh I hope that you are glad that we picked this. But uh let's get into the uh tracks and figure out uh the order. So uh I'll start off. Okay. Number nine for me, it's
2: not even close. Love ain't for keeping. Oh, oh no. wow. Murph. Number nine, song is over. Oh, you both were
1: breaking my heart. Number nine for me. Bargain.
0: Uh, eight song is over.
2: Oh, Number eight. Getting in tune.
0: Number eight. My wife. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, getting in tune. Number seven.
2: Number seven. Going mobile. That is my number seven. That's my number six. Number six for me. Bargain. Number
0: six for me is behind blue eyes. Five for me. They call that a bargain. The
2: best I've ever had. (laughs) Number five for me. Love ain't for keeping. I don't see
1: what you guys see in that. I don't. Number five for me.
0: Right in tune. (laughs) I'm tooting on you. Uh, number four for me is Borat's "My Wife." Oh God!
2: Number four for me behind "Blue
1: Eyes." Number four for me, the song is over.
0: Uh three behind "Blue Eyes."
2: Number three, "My Wife." Oh my God! Yeah, Merv.
1: Number three, "Love Ain't for Keeping." What? And I think we all. I think we. I think we all. I think we all have the same. This might be an ARC first. All three of us have the same
0: one and two. Yeah. Uh, let's figure that out. Number two for me, hey, hey, Bob O'Reilly.
2: Number two for me, won't get fooled again.
0: You fucking suck, Murph. You never, f- never, bring, up, him back. Back. never God, bring him back. Never bring him back. I done. thought we were gonna have an A.R.C. first. Oh, yeah, Bob O'Reilly's two for me. And uh, obviously, from the accolades I gave, won't get fooled again is number one. Number one, Barbara O'Reilly. Yeah, I got won't. Yeah,
1: won't get fooled again. Yep, that's okay. I mean, it's, it, you know, some people might think they're interchangeable,
0: but that's all right.
2: No, it it, it is for for those yeah. those two. For me, they could be.
0: Yep. So then you should have went along with us just to make us happy, Murph. What the <laughs> fuck? How dare you? How dare you? So it looks like
1: our average of the top four songs, shockingly here, is Won't Get Fooled Again, Baba O'Reilly, Behind Blue Eyes, and Somehow, My Wife.
0: (laughs) I love it. Love it. Yep. All right. Tom and I are going to continue the uh, tradition of album covers and album rankings. Tom, your covers, top five.
1: Yep. My top five covers are moving pictures at number five, rage against the machine, blizzard of Oz, purple rain, and number one master of puppets. So I think this cover is stupid, but I think it's unique. I think it's, you know, kind of a classic image. Um, It's, I mean, it's not boring. I'll give it that. It's not boring. Like a lot of the covers that I have below it on my rankings. So I'm going to put who's next at number 33, uh, it's right below Jar of Flies and right above Super Unknown. I'm anxious to see how many votes my wife is going to get when we do the ARC poll next week. Zero. <laughs> exactly.
0: So for me, I had slide it in at five, peace of mind, uh, four, appetite for destruction, three, Blizzard of Oz, two, Hotel California, one. I am putting this cover. Um, It, it gets it because it's let's be honest. It's iconic. Exactly. No, so for me, I'm putting this, uh, right above rocks and underneath purple at number 15, 15. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. So for albums
1: themselves, my top five right now are number five, fair warning, shout of the devil, purple rain, moving pictures, master of puppets at number one. I like this album. It's, this It gets so difficult. We've done 49 albums, and a lot of the genre is similar, you know, 80s, 90s, hard rock, and grunge. So this is an outlier. So yeah. it for me, it's difficult to rank because I look at my listings, and it's like a mood thing. But I think Won't Get Fooled Again and Bob O'Reilly just carry this so much, and the deep cuts are so fun. I'm actually going to throw this in at number 20 for me. Um, and I'm going to put it right below Appetite for Destruction and right above Billy Squire's feet at Don't Say No. (laughs) So I have it. Who's next at number 20?
0: Wow. Yeah. I think it's the highest you've ever put one of my albums, Tom.
1: Nope. I got purple at number 10. Oh, fuck. I stand
0: corrected. Yep. All right. So let's go to mine. Mine number five is Pyromania. Four is Blizzard of Oz. Three, Hotel California. Two, Automatic for the People. Number one is Purple. I am putting this album at number 10. Ooh. All right. I'm moving it above Use Your Illusion 2. It's just uh, Use Your Illusion 2 has got a lot of uneven stuff. That's
1: that's what suffered for me when I was
0: doing rankings A little spit. bit. Yeah. And uh, I I mean, I again, I have to be kind of in the mood to listen to this kind of music sometimes versus 10 i can blast anytime so i'm putting it underneath 10 so this is going at number 10 uh who's next nice all right what we do next is we go to this Murph, what makes you rock hard besides Viagra?
2: So over the holidays, uh, Christina and my older daughter went to go see The Holdovers. Oh, yeah. uh, It's a movie starring Paul Giamatti, and he is a teacher, professor at this upscale private prep school in New England. It's set in the early 70s, and all the kids go home for break except a handful. And uh, the story revolves around him, the housemaid, if you will, and one student who spend the Christmas break together. Uh, It's been nominated for Best Picture. Paul Giamatti's been nominated for Best Actor. Uh, The woman who plays the housemaid whose name escapes me nominated for Best Supporting Actress. It is a really, really good movie. I wouldn't be surprised if this becomes some type of cult holiday movie because it is set around the Christmas time. Set in the early 70s, so it's got some good soundtrack songs from, from that era. And then uh, for those from the Boston area, because it's filmed around here, uh, there were some nice uh, spots that that popped up. But uh knew it was supposed to be really good, and it exceeded my expectations. So the holdovers.
1: Nice. I haven't seen it yet. I see it's available on streaming, so I have it lined up for me to watch for sure because I've heard great things. Uh, So for me, I'm going to go with the series on HBO or now known as Max, and I'm going with True Detective. But I want to say that the most recent season of True Detective, True Detective Night Country with Jodie Foster started out great and kind of ended on a thud. But I went back and watched the original series from 10 years ago with Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. You talk about a piece of television that has aged well, that is fucking incredible acting and incredible writing. I mean, I knew that was good. I knew that was good when I watched it originally, but watching it again and kind of making my way through the true detective series. It's so unique. They're so original. The writing and the acting is amazing. So if you have not jumped on the true detective wagon, I highly urge you to do so. And even though each season is completely different with different actors, there are a few very, very small and very, very interesting connective threads between each season. So it's available on max streaming true detective. There's four seasons great tv awesome yeah i was worried about it. i mean i love jodie foster love her i, I would more. i would i would recommend it i just i just was a little disappointed with how it progressed and how it ended but it was still good that's t- what i heard
0: and that's but it's still the- good tv Yeah. so the thing the thing is i i just fucking people have to ruin it all the time because they'll be like oh there's not but uh from what i understand season one is still the standout yes that that's it yep yep okay And I don't know what it is, Tom, but I don't know. I like my lesbians. I love Jodie. I I love Jodie Foster. Love her. Wait, she's a lesbian? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Is it Freddie Mercury? Oh, Freddie Mercury, is he a gay man? Doesn't Borat do that? He doesn't believe that Freddie Mercury's gay. (laughs) All right. all right for mine tom I, I was going back and forth with one but i noticed that I, I want to talk about tv shows sometimes you know we don't and we don't usually get into a lot of this stuff and this isn't a um uh actual uh sitcom or anything like that but this is the chris wallace show i watched on cnn uh wallace came from fox so when he goes on to what's called you know the mid middle of the cnn or left this kind of thing i always like republicans on democrat shows and democrats on republican shows me too and the show goes on every saturday and he has a panel of four experts and they're usually two on the kind of left and two on the right so they have like on the right it'll be like that guy rayhan salam i don't know if you know him yep and uh jonah goldberg Kristen saltis anderson on the left, he has uh, Lulu Garcia Navarro. I don't, I don't remember who I don't she's. Know who from, that is, but the person that I like the most, and I fucking hang on every word of hers. I love Kara Swisher, the tech genius out there. That is fucking brilliant. She knows everything about tech and all that stuff. I, I find her fascinating. Whatever time she talks, she's got a, a an awesome podcast too with uh, my other favorite, the professor guy that I love, uh, Scott Galloway that oh, yep. i think is yep. fucking genius in their podcast called pivot you should listen that's a, a lot of fun but cool. Swisher and them are uh, always they'll talk some politics they'll talk tech news they'll talk about things that are happening in the future that will affect people it's not your normal like um political show it's yeah. not it's everyday stuff that you hear about or things that might happen with Google or things that might happen with cell phone use or when they came up with the new what's that new fucking visor thing that they the have Apple,
1: uh, the Apple Vision thing or whatever yeah, it is
0: that yeah that new one they were talking about like so it's always fascinating it's on saturday mornings and Wallace is okay i i i've never really had that much of a problem with him and uh, like i said i i like opposite Point of views on opposite point of networks, view networks. So I I like it. It's on Saturday mornings. I always DVR it and watch it later. Chris Wallace show. It's fun for me. So anyway, that will do it for us. Tommy, can you tell people where they can find us? Yeah, so we're Shout It Out Loudcast. If this is your first
1: time hearing us, we're normally a all-kiss podcast that drop kiss episodes every Saturday. Once a month, we do these album review crew episodes where we pick an album and we spend three to eight hours talking about it, as we did this morning. But you can find us on our website at shoutoutloudcast.com. You can drop us an email at shoutoutloudcast at com. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And you can check us out.
0: All of our different episodes are there. So hope you enjoyed the Who. Yeah, we
2: always end on famous last words. Murphy, you got any? My life's in jeopardy. Murdered in cold blood is what I'm gonna be. I have been home since Friday night, and now my wife is coming after me. Did, oh.
0: did you Did you get all that, Tom? When he When he uh, sang I, it, I think I got. Yeah, I I didn't
1: understand a single word when he said that <laughs> at all. All right, I got it all here in my head There's nothing more Needs to be said I'm just banging on my old piano I'm getting in
0: tune To the straight And narrow uh. And the men Who spurred us on Sit in judgment Of all wrong They decide And the shotgun Sings the song, Woo. Love it. Oh, as good as "Bang Bang," you, right up there. <laughs> yeah, almost. <laughs> uh, Murph, Tom,
2: loudcasters, thank you. Thanks for the invite, guys. Always good to catch up.
1: Murph, thanks for joining us. This was a blast. Zeus, great
2: pick, fun
1: episode. Everybody, thank you so much. Zeus, as always, my friend. Thank you.
0: Peace out, Girl Scout.